all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I don't have to guess for you this week, because this week I'm going to be summarizing all of the silly and nonsensical shit we got up to on our May Venture adventures. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, if this is the first podcast you've ever listened to, then I'll quickly explain myself. With this podcast, once a month, we decide on a challenge for the whole month. And by we, I mean myself and my flatmate who I've kind of roped into these challenges. And she's ended up actually being probably better at them than me in most circumstances. And the idea is we'll come up with anything, like whatever the fuck it needs to be. This originally idea came from me visiting my brother in California and his girlfriend and him do a some kind of challenge once a month, like food related, whether they uh, can't eat anything that has plastic in it or don't use any plastic for the month or, um, you know, no sugar, no meat, whatever. So I loved this idea that they were doing that. So I've started doing it. And over the last year, we've done a new challenge for every single month. I think we started in, yes, August last year. So it's almost been a year that we've been doing this. And this month, the a challenge was that we had to go on an adventure every weekend of the month. And it doesn't sound like that's that hard to do. It sounds like it's going to be really fun, and it was fun. But it was pretty interesting to see that the way that both of us reacted to A, new life situations, and B, having to orient our lives around uh, and schedule our time appropriately in order to go out and do the silly shit that we did this whole month. Before I get into the podcast, I just want to quickly say thank you as always, to everyone who is supporting this podcast by um, the Patreon page or participating in my dumb shit on the internet or uh, sharing it with your friends or whatever or sending me messages at the end of each podcast, I fucking really, really appreciate it. This I wouldn't have been able to go and interview any of the people that I did on our travels over the last month uh, if it weren't for you guys, in fact, because um, your patronage has purchased us a new digital recorder that I can now take with me anywhere in the world and record this podcast. So that was a fucking huge step forward. It also operates uh, in my studio and allows me to upgrade all my equipment that I was using from 1927. So I really, really, really appreciate um, the support, you guys. And I know I say it all the time, and I hope you don't think that I'm just saying it because I feel like I have to. Um, they, uh, honestly, there would be no point in doing this podcast if there weren't people out there getting something out of it, enjoying it, and uh, letting me know that they exist. So it could be a little bit of a self-indulgent wank fest. I feel like I'd kind of do it anyway because it's fun for me to do this job, but it makes it way more fun when I know that people are actually listening to it. So thank you. If uh, you're not a patron of this podcast, but you want to be, you can do that at patreon.com. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Lorna Bremner. And you can pick any level that you want to, whatever you're comfortable with. And I'll send you some fun shit, uh, depending on the level you do. Or you can just share it with your friends, obviously. Like my Facebook page or Instagram page. Page. They're both just called Lorna Bremner. I know that's a little bit confusing because the podcast is called Closure Optional. It was because originally 
I thought that I was going to be an artist when I grew up. And so I made those pages thinking that I was going to show off my artwork so that I could become a real-life artist one day. And then it turns out I didn't have the discipline, wherewithal, or confidence to do that. (laughs) And now I make artwork as a hobby and do this shit for real. So, you know, I think it's all worked out for the best, to be honest. I think I'm probably better at this than I am at making artwork. But it's fun because the two things get to go hand in hand. Every time I edit a podcast, I always make a drawing. And usually if I can finish the drawing and it's not a total piece of shit, I give it to the guest that I'm editing. And in this case, that will be me, won't it? So enough of that. On to the subject of today's podcast. This podcast today is not going to have a lot of moral fiber in it, you guys. Unfortunately, maybe it's because I started drinking again and I just don't give a fuck about anything. <laughs> That's not true. I, I don't know. I, I, every time I do a solo podcast, I spend fucking hours researching an idea, coming up with a formulation of what I want to say and how I want to say it. And I write a big old thing about it and try and make it sound cool and interesting and fun and give you some moral idea that you can run off into the world with and feel like you're growing as a human being. But sometimes I wonder if a little bit of my silly personality gets a bit lost in that because I'm too focused on trying to like teach something. And and just saying that makes me feel like it's a bit fucking pretentious and stupid to be like, you know, professing that I know something that you wouldn't. And maybe sometimes you guys just want to hear a cool story or not or whatever. I don't know. So if this comes across as self-indulgent, please send me a message and be like, you fucking idiot, go back to actually trying and maybe we'd like you better. Um, You know, usually social shame and uh, degradation kicks me in the ass and makes me do things better. So by all means, you know, don't hold back. I care that you guys enjoy what this is. So I hope these stories will be entertaining and fun for you today, but be warned, there's not a lot of moral fiber going on. I have wondered a little bit If it's not that I'm drinking again, I should be very careful about the way I say that. While we've gone off on these trips, I have drunk approximately two beers on each of the Saturday nights that I've been out with Melina on these trips. And um, yeah, I think like to have a drink every weekend is probably not helping my self-confidence and psyche because I think it's just been so rigidly stuck in my head that drinking's a shitty idea and it's poisonous and it's not good for you. So like I think I'm beating myself up a little bit. I still don't I, – I, as soon as I get to two beers, I'm enjoying myself. I have one beer and it feels nice and I have the second one and it feels okay. And then as soon as I'm considering going to the third or start a third beer, I feel immediately sick. And then I – like get the fear so bad about having a hangover or being depressed or going back to the state of mind that I was in when I was drinking all the time that I just immediately stop and give up. So I think th- I think it's a good thing. I, I don't really want to see myself being a drinker again. But I don't know. I, I wonder if that's been kind of impacting my self-confidence the last couple of weeks. I also haven't been exercising as much as I'd like to because my arm keeps dislocating. <laughs> I've got loose ligaments in my elbow and my radius, my bone in my arm uh, dislocates every time I throw a punch. So it's fucking scary. It's the worst feeling. So I don't know. I think I've been in a bit of a funk this week uh, and last week. 
and I, I'm not going to blame it on our trips because I think our trips are really exciting. But one thing that tends to happen, I feel like to people, is when you have new experiences, it stirs up a lot of your old behavior patterns and kind of rooted in stuck patterns that are inside your personality and your psyche. And sometimes, I, I guess for me at least, it seems to be showing me patterns of behavior in myself that I thought I had changed or wanted to change. And probably what's actually happened is that I've just shut down my external inputs a lot more. So I haven't been, I probably need to explain this idea better. I thought that I had like cured certain tendencies in myself over the last couple of years because I wasn't out drinking, I wasn't out chatting away to boys and doing embarrassing, stupid things or feeling self-conscious about shit. But really what's actually happening is that I've been spending so much more time on my own, working on my own shit that I rarely have much interaction with the outside world except for the people that I uh, interact with at the gym. So when I actually do go out into the world and do different things, those old tendencies still creep back up. As much as I thought I've dealt with them, it's probably more that I just haven't been experiencing them. So this is pretty interesting. Uh, the places that we went to over this month, we first went to Byron Bay, because my brother came to visit me from California. It was the first time in 12 years that a member of my family has come to visit me in Australia. And it was so fun. He brought his fiance over and we had a really, really good time. So the first trip was down to Byron Bay. The second trip we went to Coffs Harbor via Grafton. And the third trip we went to Stanthorpe and Tenterfield, which is like straight west Queensland from the Gold Coast, went straight out to Stanthorpe and then down. Tenterfield is in New, New South Wales. They're just like all right along the border of these two states and then back up through the northern rivers of New South Wales to Queensland. And then this weekend, when you're going to be hearing this podcast, we will be up in the Sunshine Coast for our last adventure of May Venture. It was pretty crazy, actually, like speaking of habits... I, it's, I thought, yeah, I, like, it probably sounds to you guys like, what a fucking dumb challenge. It's not hard to go have fun on a weekend. <laughs> but the way I've been building my life over the last six months, I've actually made it incredibly difficult for myself to, like, go and do anything. Because I am completely self-sustainable, I have a job that pays me, basically pays for my bills, where I teach Muay Thai and work at the gym. And then outside of that, I do freelance video work, um, my podcast, obviously, my own video projects, and I uh, have personal training clients that I organize myself. So everything outside of my few 20 hours a week or whatever that I do at the gym is all off my own back and that I've got to chase up and organize and create time for in my day. So some days I'll do like a 14 or 16 hour day without realizing it because I'm doing different types of work, but I'm just working constantly all day. And usually what I do is I fucking procrastinate. Like, like I'll just do this stupid... My procrastination is so intelligent that... I can't even tell that I'm procrastinating because I've convinced myself that whatever this dumb thing is that I've decided I need to do, I just go and do that thing. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh yeah, this is the most important thing. This is what I need to be doing right now. When in fact, the truth is, and no, what I need to be doing is the shit that I'm 
going to get paid for, that's going to progress my career in something, or that's going to give meaning in my life. Not like folding my socks in three different ways and then stacking them in my closet. (laughs) No, Lorna, you're getting your shit together. It's really important to fold your socks up so that people know that you've got your shit together. Maybe it would be better to, you know, like book some more clients or work on my book or whatever. Anyways, so I'm so clever at procrastinating that I end up fucking procrastinating all week. And then by the weekend, I haven't got the podcast done or I haven't got the video worked on or whatever. I will just cram it all into three days. And then by the end of three 18-hour days, I'm fucking exhausted and wrecked. And so the next week I start all over again by doing nothing. So in having May Venture now, and Melina's the same, or she's not as bad as, as me. Well, she, I don't know. I can't tell. I can't speak on her behalf, but... She also works for herself from home. So if she had the option, she would just work 24-7. She would just sit in front of that computer like a black hole and be lost to this world forever. So even though we live with each other and we work with each other at the gym, we still don't spend very much quality time together because we're both just in this black hole of chaos and our own nonsense. So we said to each other, all right, let's plan our week better. Let's actually give ourselves a weekend. We are committing to going away from our computers and out into the nether world somewhere else. And so we must better schedule our time so that we can actually live our lives. So I've gotten so wrapped up in this cycle of just doing shit without thinking about it and not really organizing my time that I can't really tell how much time I'm spending on shit and how much time I'm wasting. And so this was very illuminating the first week of me not having those two and a half days at the end of the week to jam all the shit that I didn't do all weekend. And yeah, it was a rude awakening. <laughs> it's tough, man. I, I, I don't know. I'm in a bad habit. And so hopefully by the end of this month, I'll kind of have a little bit better together. Like right now I'm recording this podcast four days in advance so that I will have a podcast ready for you on Sunday. Last week, I didn't release a podcast until Wednesday, which was appalling effort. So anyway, Uh, That was the first thing I noticed about myself. Second thing, now financially, it's a bit difficult to be constantly going on trips. We were pretty lucky. Melina has this amazing um, camper van that both of us can sleep in with a cat and we can park it anywhere and you can cook food in it. You can fill up your water bottle in it. So really, we didn't need anything. If we brought food and we found somewhere to sleep that night, we barely had to spend very much money, but just the petrol to get out there and little bits of shit that we did spend money on was still costing heaps. And so that's, that was another tiny little issue about it. It's just that we had to be a lot smarter with our money. I operate with exactly enough money to survive. So like if my car breaks down or if I break my leg or my arm dislocates every time I throw a punch, I'm, you know, it throws me out of whack a little bit. So that was another thing that I realized about my life is that it's probably not a good idea to just kind of scrape by day, week to week. <laughs> I should probably be working a little bit more on establishing myself a bit better. But then the psychological implications of what happened while we were out experiencing new things were really interesting. It's like me dredging up these old behavior patterns was pretty interesting. So the first week we went to Byron, and that was lovely. One of the things that I noticed about myself that I still haven't quite, I I haven't quite figured out what's exactly happening here, but so what I was saying, my brother had come over, it's the first time in 12 years that someone from my family has been here, and 
I've been living in this country for 12 years. I go home every couple of years as much as I possibly can to get back to see my family. Obviously, it's a a bit expensive and a time taker to go all the way back to America, but I go back and see them as much as I can. And every time I see them, I get this similar feeling, which is I want to leave immediately because it hurts too much to realize how much I love them and miss them when I'm around them. And I know like what tends to happen when you're around people all the time. You take them for granted and you forget. Like when I left my family, I always told myself, oh, I didn't really have that close of a relationship with my family. It's no big deal. It doesn't matter. I'm living my own life. I'm free. YOLO. And I think I have kind of suppressed this feeling of, you know, like really caring about and missing my family. And when my brother came here, it was the first time I've had someone in my new reality from my old reality. And it was heart-wrenching and homesick, this feeling of like, I just had so much nostalgia for my past or like wish that I could kind of rewind a little bit and spend more time with the people that raised me or the people that loved me my whole life. And so it was this weird sensation that like as soon as they came here and I saw them, my heart was burst wide open and then I just wanted them to leave immediately so that I could push all those feelings back down and pretend like I didn't know what love was. That was kind of weird. Um, but then uh, it was really nice. Like I, I, I think I, I, you do tend to go back into these roles of like being the little kid. Like my brother's four years older than me, so I do tend to be like the little kid to him. And it, it was really fun to just get to experience him as an adult, with me as an adult, and watch him with his new fiance, who's one of the coolest people I've met, and so fucking happy that he's found someone rad. So it was really nice. It, it made me sad to see them go, and um, hopefully my parents will get over here and see the same thing. But at the same time, I'm kind of like secretly wishing that they will never come. So I never had to deal with that emotion again. (laughs) Then, oh, and this is something interesting too. So like, that's an old experience that kind of dredged up an old feeling, but this is really interesting. I was looking at some psychological research as to what happens to people when they get into new environments and new experiences. And from an infant, from as soon as they're born, they have two distinct reactions to unusual stimuli or unusual information. And so one group will be a highly reactive group and the other group will be kind of nonchalant, like they're not really that bothered about it. So from birth, essentially, from these were zero to six months, they would show an infant a toy and then the infant, depending on how they reacted, would fall into one of those categories. Either they would be curious and just stare at it, or they would cry or whimper or like look the other way or freeze up. And uh, what was really amazing about this is that I was kind of thinking, as I was reading this research, I was like, oh, fuck, that's, I'm just one of these infants that reacts like, freaked out to situations. That must be what's what goes on with me. Like when new things happen, I start to have all these emotions that I just kind of like shut down. And it turns out that when those babies got to be 18 months or two years old, the differences had completely leveled out. As long as they had basically similar life upbringings and experiences in their childhood, they pretty much leveled out. So this is a a crazy thought to imagine that as a baby, as an infant, you come out with this kind of like predisposed way of reacting to the world. And then you 
through conditioning and time and normalization, you can stabilize that thing. So you don't actually operate in the world with a handicap. There were some kids, I think about um, 4% or something like that of the highly reactive kids that turn, that would grow up to be susceptible to anxiety disorders and really high reactivity. But those, again, also could be conditioned out or conditioned in depending on their environment that they were raised in. So that was kind of an interesting thing. So that made me, it started me thinking about like that there are pretty much two distinct ways that we can react to new stimuli or new information in the world. And one's fear and the other one is kind of like general curiosity. And it's hard to know where you stand on that scale because I think obviously depending on the circumstance and the stimuli and your obviously life experience, you'll be one or the other. So I was thinking about this and I'm like, am I a fearful person or am I a curious person? What, what is it? Like, yeah, I will go and try new stuff. Like people all the time are telling me I'm brave because um, like, I don't know, I've fought, I've had Muay Thai fights or because I would go and masturbate in the woods with a bunch of women or I'll go to a sex party and watch, watch someone getting, you know, like whipped in the dick. <laughs> That's like, those things are exciting to me, but they give me pure fear and anxiety. Like I struck, I am so emotionally invested in the experience of my life. I'm constantly teeter tottering between like fear and resistance and then curiosity to try shit. So it's hard to know. I don't think that anybody is one thing or the other. I think that actually that's almost kind of like the human experience in general. It's like we operate just on this tightrope in between chaos on one side and boredom on the other side. And it's our job to just kind of delicately balance that. Because if you think about it, like we hate the unknown when things are going well and we're happy and we're doing the thing. And when something changes, we get really pissed off about it. But then at the same time, like if you imagine a relationship, you'll be having this like really happy, wonderful relationship with someone. You just meet them, you fall in love. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful. But after five years, like you start having all these wacky fantasies about just Jane at the petrol station and the way she, you know, unwraps the coin package or <laughs> whatever it is. Like, so you have these like, all of a sudden you start having these wacky thoughts that life would be so much better if you could ditch your wife and go and like fuck 20 prostitutes in a brothel underground. But then if you did do that and you go, oh, fuck it, that's right, I'm going to follow that impulse, you're going to go and fuck all those prostitutes. You're going to like have a bit of a fun time for a little while, but nothing's ever going to live up to that expectation. And then slowly the aching, desperate loneliness of just needing that stable partner and stable life creeps back into you. And then you go catapulting back the other way and marry someone that you don't have. <laughs> it's fucked. So like be having an awareness of our ability to kind of like go back and forth on this thing and trying somehow to stay in the middle. I guess that's kind of what I was talking about in that back to the center podcast. And um, that is also the main ideal of like the Buddhist middle way or the eightfold path is all about like trying to regain that center and not get moved by all this fucking shit that can go on. But it's an interesting part of the human condition. And, wh and what I was watching myself is that like in those new situations, I experienced a little bit of both. Like there's definitely some curiosity, but my fear also could be broken into a couple different categories. Like when I'm coming up to a new situation, I have a tendency also to create a fantasy about what that new thing is going to be like. And I was doing this all the time on the trip. Like I'm actually, I'm actually sort of embarrassed to admit it because it's so fucking dumb. But like I got in my head 
because I never do anything and I just go to the gym and come home and hang out with Molina and a few close friends around me and that's pretty much it, I had this thing in my head that like, oh, if I go out on an adventure and experience the world, then maybe I'm going to meet someone that I'll fall in love with and they're going to love me back. And then that's going to be my life. And isn't this glorious and wonderful? So it was like just that switch of like, oh, the only reason I'm not meeting someone now is because I don't do anything. So the opposite of that is if I do something, I will meet someone that I'm going to be in love with. And so this, that was kind of, it was almost at this subconscious thought or like at least a thought that I knew would appear in my head and I was kind of embarrassed about it. So I kept shoving it backwards. And I didn't realize how much that thought was actually driving my decision-making and my behavior. So we'd go like out to um, Grafton or go to fucking Coffs Harbor or Stanthorpe way out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like, like how stupid is it? Just imagine this fantasy, like how fucking ridiculous my brain is. And this is the thing about a fantasy. You know it's a fantasy because you have not obviously thought it through at all. And you just come up with this stupid idea in your head. And you're like, oh, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. And then you actually put it into practice. It's just insane. Like imagine this. Like Stanthorpe is a town in the middle of the country, Queensland, where there is no draw for me to ever go and live. It's a beautiful town. There's no draw for me to ever go and live there. It's cold as fuck. It's a tiny town. I'd be bored within a month and, but in my head, I'm like, oh, we're going to go to this Stanthorpe pub and I'm going to meet a cowboy that loves me and stimulates my brain and is sexy and wants to have sex with me. And it's amazing. We're going to fall in love with each other. And how neat. When you actually put that into practice, like, what does that mean? Oh, great. I meet somebody that lives in Stanthorpe and then I move to Stanthorpe and like work on his poultry farm for the rest of my life. Like, oh, that's my future? Okay. Or, or no, I'm just going to meet him and have this like wonderful night and then like take him outside and have sex with him in a van that Melina and I both have to drive eight, spend the night in and then drive eight hours the next day knowing what went on in there. That's fucking crazy. Or the other option is like to go back to his house full of probably six kids and three dogs and four pigs and have sex with them there and then never see him again? Like, what the fuck was I thinking? And what's so stupid about it is that, like, when you put that, you run the whole thought experiment out, obviously it's dumb, it's, like, idiotic. But then it still didn't stop me from being disappointed when that didn't happen. <laughs> and so so it's, it's embarrassing. It's like I... I immediately, I kind of like lose focus. I'm not talking to Melina because I'm looking around the pub and I'm feeling disappointed that John Smith, the hot cowboy, isn't there talking. It's just so fucking dumb. So anyways, yeah, I tend to do this thing where I develop expectations in my head and then, and even if they're subconscious, even if I know they're stupid and I keep telling myself not to pay attention to them, if they don't come to fruition, I'll still be fucking annoyed about it later. It's so dumb. Um, and obviously on the opposite side of that, and probably every single Instagram influencer you've ever heard ever mentions this one. And that's, if you don't have any expectations, everything turns out a lot more fun. And the best times, like the best memories I had of both of the trips that we went on were like, there was one place on the map. I saw this on Google maps that was called Kent's pocket. And it was kind of roughly on our way. We had to do a tiny little detour. And I was just like, yeah, I just want to go see what's in Kent's pocket. 
was just a silly name for a place. And because we didn't give a fuck what it was, it didn't matter. It was just a stupid, silly experience. Between the two of us, we drove 10 minutes out of our way to go and take a picture of a sign and like view the cows that were in the pasture by it. (laughs) And that was all it was. We had so much fun on that little tiny little venture off of our trip. So anyways, having no expectation, I think is a much better way of dealing with these things. But that's me being afraid of what's coming up. So instead of, you know, just kind of being excited for the adventure that it could be, I try to build a little fantasy around it so that I can get past the resistance of just not going. I think that's mostly where it comes from. It's like some it's like throwing a lure out there for myself to like want to have the will to get out of the house. And then I go there and then I'm disappointed by it and it's like, come on man. Get it together. Also, oh, yeah, we got so excited because as we were driving down to Coffs Harbor and I was looking for things to do in the general area, we saw that the Grafton show was on, and that was fucking amazing. It was, I was just so synchronistic and fun that we would happen to be, like, right passing nearby this town, and the biggest event of the year for that town was on that night, and we got to go and experience that. It was so fun. It's like a county fair, I guess, if you're American. Um, what, you know, like your typical rodeo type of stuff. And then they had, at the nighttime, they had just pure carny rides and silly games that you could win a giant stuffed animal and stuff. It was really fun. Um, by the way, Molina is much better at documenting this stuff on her social media than I am. So if you want to go and see any of this stuff, I think her Instagram is at Molina Young and mine has got some of it on there. I don't really know. I dropped my phone in a toilet, so I lost a lot of it. Um, yeah, that was, that was another thing that happened at the Stanthorpe pub. So we went out to the pub and I got immediately disappointed when we walked in there. Oh fuck. It was so intense. We walked in the door and I was thinking we were going to go into like a restaurant hotel pub thing. I was imagining a bit of open space, but you walked in the door and it's just this tiny little L shape entryway that goes straight to the bar. And then there was another room that you could go through to get to somewhere else, which we weren't adventurous enough to go and explore. And then the room next to, on the other side of the L was the pokey room. And so we walked in the door and these group of guys are sitting right at the bar, which was also right at the entrance of the door. And as soon as we opened the door, they wolf whistled at us, shouted and got all excited and started laughing. And we, it was so fucking overwhelming because I'm invisible on the Gold Coast. Like, I am, every time I've gone out anywhere, like, I obviously haven't been drinking for the last three years, so I have rarely any reason to go to the pub. I've attempted it. I do go out every once in a while. And I'm, I'm fucking invisible. Like, I could stare into the eyes of another human being, and they just would not even know that I'm there. I, it could be the lack of fake tits and fake lips and painted on eyebrows. It could be that. But it could also be that I'm like trying too hard. They can see my desperation seething at me. <laughs> and they, they think it's better to just avoid the situation altogether. <laughs> I don't know. So anyways, I'm invisible on the Gold Coast. So when I got into Stanthorpe and I was like, me and Melina were like the greatest, newest thing that had happened to them in six months. It was totally overwhelming and terrifying. We went in and sat down at the bar. One of them did come over and talk to us for a little while. He was a really nice guy. He was quite a young kid. They were all out celebrating somebody's 18th. So um, we didn't spend much time with him. But then it got, it was just all a bit overwhelming. We could tell like all of the women in the town 
were like, what the fuck are you two doing here? (laughs) So as silly and nice as the attention was from the males, the disgust and hatred from the women was a lot worse. So we we were like, you know, it's probably just, this is not a, let's go outside and reassess. So I went to the toilet to like kind of gather my thoughts. And when I got in there, there was like piss all over the toilet seat. So I bent down to get some toilet paper and wiped the piss off. There was still a bunch of like piss in the toilet too. A person hadn't flushed it. And so as I was wiping the toilet seat, the whole fucking toilet seat fell off and fell <laughs> to the ground. So I had to get more toilet tissue and I was kind of like grabbing it with like a makeshift oven mitt, you know, like pulling it back up and trying to widget it back onto the toilet. And then I turned around to dump the toilet paper I had into the rubbish bin. And as I turned around, my phone was in my back pocket. And as I turned around and bent over, my phone fucking squished out of my back pocket and dropped right on top of the stranger's piss in the toilet. (laughs) And my phone's not only my phone, but it's my whole wallet. It's where all my cards are, my money, everything. It was so fucking gross. So I had to quickly kind of like snatch it out of the toilet. I just let it sit there in the sink. Like, fuck, what do I do? You can't run water over it. I don't want to make it more wet. I took it out of its case, threw the case away, took what cards I had and kind of washed them a little bit, wiped my phone off as best I could and walked out to Melina just with like panic and disgust and horror on my face. (laughs) And we we left the phone. I was actually okay. I was okay about losing the phone. I was a bit frustrated just because I don't have a lot of money to replace a phone as a fucking another expense I don't really want to deal with. But it's not it's not a big deal. I have spare phones I can make do. But um it was it was just like the disgust of having someone else's piss like all through the thing that connects me to the outside world. <laughs> I put it in my pocket and we walked back to the van and by the time we got to, back to the van I just had a pocket full of piss. It was just leaking out. <laughs> Put a little damper on the evening, let's just say. And we were trying to figure out if we were going to go to the other pub in town and see if we could re-socialize, but I just, uh, I don't know. I, I think my disappointment crept in too much and I couldn't be fucked, so I just, we decided, opted against it and stopped drinking right then and there. We had had, we'd had like two beers or something at the brewery beforehand. And the brewery was so fun because, again, we had no expectations. We just were in there playing cards. We played a variation of speed while everyone in the and the all the old people that were there at this brewery were just kind of like watching us with mild confusion and we just were laughing at each other it was fun but so we decided to leave then and we went down just outside of Stanthorpe to this place called Girawin National Park um fuck it's so cool it was a recommendation from one of my friends that used to live down in Stanthorpe and Oh, man, I was so grateful for his recommendation. It was so fucking cool. We drove deep into this national park. We were starting to talk about, like, serial killer shit, which is a total mistake. We were so far outside of everything. And this, the national park was actually, like, closed at some points because of fire and lack of water or something. So it was really deserted. And we were kind of like, fucking hope we don't get skinned alive tonight. Melina apparently didn't sleep the whole night because she was afraid that we were going <laughs> to become decapitated. Um, but this national park is a, it's called, they call it the granite belt down there. And so there's a bunch of big granite rocks that have appeared over time. And one of them is called the pyramid. And it's this fucking humongous rock. Apparently it's the second biggest rock in the country, probably behind Ayers Rock. 
And so you hike up it. The next morning we woke up in the national park, luckily not hung over because we hadn't spent the night drinking, trying to talk to fucking people about shooting accidents or whatever. So we went, um, that's what the guy was telling us. He said he couldn't hear out of one ear because he had a shooting accident. And I said, oh, what happened? He's like, it was a shooting accident. And I was like, yeah, but like what happened? And he's like, yeah, it was a shooting accident. But it was an accident while we were shooting. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> let's leave it at that. He did say other words. I was like, you know, but specifically what happened. And he said that somebody shot a gun behind him while they were shooting a thing and a thing and a thing. And there was so many words that he said that couldn't translate in my language. So I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. He was a really funny kid. Um, so anyway, so we went uh, to this national park the next day. What, where was I going with that? Yeah, I think I was just talking about climbing the mountain. Oh, yeah, this thing is called the pyramid. Are you guys glad that I didn't write anything down? <laughs> uh, sometimes it's better just to get to experience how fucking stupid my brain can be sometimes. I'm such a tangential speaker. I just go off on a tangent. I listen to, I hear myself do this all the time, actually. When I listen to the podcast, even when I've written something down and tried to stay coherent, I still will start a thought and then not really finish it. I notice it mostly when I have to do closed captioning on my videos or whatever, and I realize that the four sentences that preceded that sentence don't actually link to that sentence. Anyway, there's a case in point. So we climbed this rad mountain, and it's, it was a mountain most of the way up, and then when you get up to the top of it, it's just a sheer rock face. It's got a couple shrubs that kind of poke out of it at certain points, so it's just a big, giant, bald granite rock. And it was a um, beautiful hike going up there, and when we finally got up to the top, we started... Uh, you had to, It wasn't steep enough that you had to, like, rock climb, but there were certain points in it where, because it was just a bald rock face, that you'd go on your hands and feet and kind of just to just to get up that little section or whatever. And so we were climbing up this thing. We're having the, a good time. And I was looking around a little bit to try. You can see down into these valleys, amazing, immense, long valleys. This mountain was really high, so you could see everything all around you. And I was saying to Melina, like, fuck, I'm getting a bit of vertigo. Like, this is, it's cool. It's cool as shit. But I was starting to get that feeling, like, right when psychedelics start to come on, and you're kind of like, oh, fuck. Wait, maybe this is a bad idea. And then you're like, no, 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 everything's going to be fine. You're going to be okay. Like I was starting to get a little bit of that, like just the rushes of kind of vertigo, a little bit of dizziness. And I was like, wow, man, fuck, this is high. And she's like, yeah, yeah, it is. And I'm like, wow, normally something like this would give me a panic attack. This is fucking high. And um, the more we talked about it, the more I started getting like scaring myself. And I was, I was trying to like make jokes with her, but then I realized that I was actually kind of freaking myself out. So I stopped talking and just kept climbing, and I was fine. I was like, no, just keep going up. The mountain, the top is literally just up there around the corner. Just keep going. And then I looked back at one point um, to where I'd come from and realized that I was never going to come down, like that there was no way I was going to make it down the mountain. I just had this, like, horrific feeling that I was stuck there forever. And immediately I just slipped into a panic attack. And I don't know if any of you guys have actually had I, a panic attack. It sounds like I'm exaggerating, like, ooh, I had a panic attack. But um, if you haven't experienced a panic attack, it's easy for 
you to be like, just fucking snap out of it. But if you have experienced a panic attack, a panic attack you know what I'm talking about. Um, I'll, I'll describe it the way that a doctor actually described it to me. I, I am going to take this tangent, all right? I'm aware that I'm taking a tangent. I'm coming back to me having a panic attack on the mountain, but I just want to explain what this is because this is actually really interesting. A panic attack is actually like an altered state of consciousness, similar to the way like an epileptic fit is an altered state of consciousness. Epileptic fits come from electrical misfirings inside the brain, but um, and there can be chemical misfirings in the brain also that kind of cause altered states of consciousness. And what happens with a panic attack, according to this doctor, was helping me out when I was having them a lot, is that basically your underlying anxieties just kind of ride subconsciously in the background of your life all the time. And most of the time you're kind of dealing with them and processing them and they don't really build up. But if you're having consistent anxiety all the time that's becoming unaddressed or consistent stress, it's sort of just, it's like white noise or static in the background. It's just constantly always there. And your body physiologically when you're dealing with stress starts to increase your breathing rate. And you don't even know that this is happening. You won't even realize it's happening, but you start taking shallower breaths. And if you're a chronically anxious person, your breathing will chronically be shallow. So you'll always find yourself short of breath or dizzy periodically or whatever. So when you're not taking very good deep breaths, you end up getting a little bit dizzy. So then your brain goes, oh, fuck, we need more oxygen up here. So there's two things we can do. Either breathe in more or faint to get our head below our heart. Hour. It sounds a bit schizophrenic. But so this is what your brain does. And so the first immediate reaction is like, we'll just try and get some more oxygen, see how that goes. But what also happens when you're shallow breathing is that you're not releasing carbon dioxide either. So when you start to get the dizzy, tingling feeling that happens before a panic attack, what's actually happening is that your lungs are full of carbon dioxide. So you're basically suffocating yourself and you try and breathe in more to get more oxygen in, but you're already full of carbon dioxide, so you can't actually get a good breath. So then you start to feel really scared and and start to get a bit panicked and a bit anxious. When that happens, the other part of your brain goes, oh, fuck, we're not getting oxygen because we're under attack. So you need to get ready to run or fight. And so then it floods your body with adrenaline and uh, makes you feel like you need to run away. So then all of a sudden you got two systems in your body that are trying to keep you alive that are doing contradictory things. One of them is telling you to go to sleep and the other one is telling you to run. And so you get paralyzed in this state of being that is in between both of them. You can't fucking breathe. So you're trying to get more breath in, but your lungs are already full of carbon dioxide, so you can't fucking breathe. And then so your body wants to faint, but then at the same time, your body thinks you're under attack, so you're trying to run away. So you're kind of like stuck in between this, just you're torn between these two worlds. And then all of a sudden, your brain out of nowhere will just go, fuck it, you're going to die. That must be what this is. For all the facts combined, the only thing that I can put this down to is that you're about to be dead. So tell everyone in the immediate vicinity that you're dying. <laughs> and that's what happens. And so you get just completely convinced you're trapped inside your body. Another thing that happens when the adrenaline goes through your system and you start to get into this like pure panicked flight or flight mode is that your rational brain switches right off because there's no time for thinking in an environment like this. You're there, all the blood disappears. There's no reason for you to have a rational thought and like do arithmetic. You just need to get the fuck out of there. So you, there's no rational processing. So when those words appear in your head like, oh, fuck, I'm about to die, 
that is the truth. And there's no logical way of stopping it. Like nothing that anyone else can say to you is going to help at that moment. You can't think your way out of it. So the only thing to do is just breathe and wait it out. And that's all you can do. So when you're at the fucking top of a mountain and there's no way down and you're convinced that you're about to die, nothing anyone can do can help you. Like I was so fucking lonely at that moment. Melina was there and I said to her, oh shit, I'm actually, I'm having a panic attack. And she's like, okay, just here's a rock you can lean against, face the wall and um, I'm going to just leave you. And thank God, I, I so good about living with someone and knowing someone that well that when I start to have a pure meltdown like this, she doesn't hover around me and, st- and stress because it makes it so much worse. You just, I really need to be left alone in that moment to collect myself. But anyway, so she kind of wandered off so that I could have space. And I stared, there was this little patch of grass and trees that was growing out of the wall. And I just stared at the trees And luckily the doctor had told me that there is a way to stop a panic attack. And now that you, um, now that you, now that you guys have been educated by me, but um, now that I understand what a panic attack actually is physiologically, I understand that the the way to stop it is just to empty your lungs out completely and fill them with oxygen. And so she taught me to do their, uh, I think you call it pranayama, but these like breathing exercises where you slowly breathe in for four breaths and then exhale for four breaths and count to four so that you consciously know that you're really exhaling all of that CO2 and then really breathing in all the oxygen really slowly. So you do that for 10 breaths or 15 breaths or whatever, whatever it takes. And so that immediately kind of connects you back into your body rather than being out stuck in the world of panic. So (laughs) there I was on this mountain just having a fucking pure meltdown. Um, Then the verge of tears, losing my shit, thinking I was going to die. And luckily I just slowly brought myself back out of it by just breathing, breathing, breathing. And then um, Melina was up and around the corner and she goes, oh yeah, you definitely don't want to come up here. It's way worse up here. Apparently it got steeper and more bald as you got up. And so I didn't make it to the top of the mountain. And I felt bad too. She had to come down because I wasn't going any further. So we were so close to the top too. Um, So she ended up coming down with me and I, like a fucking infant, crawled down the mountain on my, like a crab on my hands and feet and just stared at my feet the whole way down. (laughs) Didn't get to enjoy any of the views, didn't look at anything, barely experienced it. All I was in survival mode was just stare at your feet until you are on the ground. And then as soon as I was out of that situation, just like the flood of shame and embarrassment at being fucking 33 years old and crying on a mountain. (laughs) And it was starting to get busier that, morning. So there was like many people going up and down. So all of them got to watch me crab walk myself (laughs) down. (sighs) Ah, What a fucking idiot. But, and that was the problem too, is that again, like I was talking about these behavior patterns starting to appear is a, when I'm drinking out of the pub, I think that I'm going to marry somebody and then I get disappointed when I don't. That's one. Two, when my brother comes to visit me, I start to feel like I'm a little kid again that needs to be held and cared for and loved by my family. And then I'd shove all those feelings down again and wish he would leave. And then 
Three is like when I'm in an uncomfortable situation like that and I don't like it, I just wish for it to be over so bad that I just completely clam up and shut down. And then I don't get to experience the experience I was just having. Instead of like slowly processing and dealing with the rational nature of what was going on on that mountain and knowing like, because I I wasn't going to die. They let people climb that mountain all the time. It's not like they're warning signs saying, be careful, don't climb here. Like it was obviously very safe to climb, I just freaked out. Instead of paying attention to the rational, real world facts, I missed out on an experience and also kind of ruined it for Melina. So that was the habit. Now the worst habit that I develop and have developed over time, which I'm still working on all the time, is that as soon as I got out of that dangerous situation and started coming down, I was just flooded with shame and embarrassment. And then the fucking, the worst negative thoughts. And this is how stupid my brain is like the the thoughts that are coming into my head is like you're fucking pathetic you always do this you're you're not adventurous you never are you never will be you're never going to find anyone that loves you you better not exist no point in even living why do you even try to do anything in the world you're such a piece of shit <laughs> like so the, it, it goes it spirals out of control just from me not being able to do one thing because I got panicked and I pulled myself out of the moment, got completely fucking lost in my own chaos and fantasy. And then once I come back to and realize what the world is like and that I'm okay, I ha- I just berate myself with like a litany of negative mean thoughts, which is fucking gnarly. And it was really, ugh. Luckily, and so I'd say out loud to me like, oh, that was really weird. I don't know why I was so panicked like that. I'm really sorry. I hope um, I didn't ruin your... You know, I just start being, trying to justify it to myself why I did that. I started telling everybody about it. I'm telling everybody about it on a podcast on the internet to make myself feel better. It is. It's embarrassing and it's fucking dumb. I hate it when I miss out on an experience because I allow myself to get freaked out in my own head. But worse than that is to start fucking tearing myself to pieces and make myself feel like I shouldn't, I'm not worthy of existence. And I know that that is actually linked to me drinking alcohol all the time. I know when consistently when I was drinking all the time and drinking to escape my life, that was the repeating cycle. It was like drink to escape my life, then be mad that I was, I was trying to escape my life, then drink more to deal with being mad at myself, and then continually over and over on a cycle, just this horrific self-hatred, self-flagellation cycle. So as soon as I saw, I saw it happening when I was walking down the mountain, I um, pretty quickly, luckily, put a stop to it. And I think that I, actually Muay Thai in particular is one of the main things that helped me with that because that, th- that voice always comes up into your head before a fight, like, you piece of shit. Why, you think you're better than her? Are you sure she's going to beat the fuck out of you? Like these thoughts all come into your head, like, you're not going to be able to do it. Fight camp's too hard. You're too tired. And you always have to listen to that voice, tell it that you appreciate that it's there, but it's not here to serve you and that we got to be on the same team as each other. And slowly that voice of doubt quiets itself down enough for you to get into the ring and actually do the thing you set out to do. So I know that that process happens. And now I am at least a little bit better at identifying that shitty fucked up voice that can happen in my head and tell it to fuck off basically. It was so fun for us to do these trips. Like and and I it really was kind of amazing to see how I reacted in those new situations. And it was cool for me to see like what my patterns are, I think. 
a little bit, you know, it is like a little bit disappointing that I thought that I was, I had made so much progress in my life and that I'm still susceptible to some of these same old kind of dumb behavior patterns that I've been in since, I don't know, I guess as long as I can remember. But I mean, think fuck for the podcast. That's the whole point of doing this thing, isn't it? It's like to have these experiences, see how they feel and then try and explain them to other people. So, you know, shit, I've been talking for 51 minutes already. That'll probably do us, won't it? Um, we have one more adventure coming up for us. Uh, by the time you're hearing this podcast on Sunday, we will be in the Sunshine Coast for the last week of May Venture. And for June, we haven't quite decided on the challenge for June. It's got to be a food thing because, I don't know, I also think in conjunction with me hurting my elbow and not really taking great care of myself, I'm that's also contributing to a little bit of a decline in my mental happiness or my self-confidence. So I'm working on a couple new challenges for myself, which I'll talk to you guys about in the next coming weeks because they're sort of exciting, but I just don't want to say anything until I actually do it. Um, that I'm trying to push myself out of my comfort zone, but I really need to kind of boost up my own confidence. So I know the best way for me to do that is exercise consistently, feel good about the people I'm spending time with, care about the people I'm spending time with, and um, work on shit that matters to me. So keep doing stuff like this that I'm happy with, and then uh, you know, eat better food for God's sake. So June will probably be something where we uh, go back to eating healthy, and uh, I'm continuing back again to meditate. Meditarch was the best, I think, challenge that I've had yet where I had to focus on meditating every single day. It made my brain operate a lot better. So now this is just pure ramble at this point. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for all your feedback and your comments um, on everything that I'm doing. I'm looking at booking another live podcast somewhere in the next couple of months, so keep an eye out for that. And we will. I also have sort of an exciting thing coming up that... Hopefully I'll get to talk about on the podcast soon. Next week's podcast will be with the wonderful and great Leon Pachowski. He's like, I don't know, 79 years old. <laughs> He's old as fuck. And I went and visited him on one of our little trips. And he is a psychologist that, or a psychiatrist, I should say, that he was a professor of psychology. And now he is doing pure research where he goes out into remote communities and is focused entirely on the first three years of human development and what can go wrong there to lead us down weird tracks of being in the future. So it's a great podcast. Um, that one's coming up next week. Thank you again so much for contributing to the podcast. If you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash Lorna Bremner. Uh, you can also just share the podcast, tell your friends, whatever. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a great week. Talk to you again soon.